Hello, guys. Welcome to My Steps to Sobriety, my show uh, on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. And today I have got a wonderful guest from the opposite side of the world from me. Uh, actually, in a place that I love a lot and where I found my wife and uh, where we married and then emigrated to here. Good old UK, England. And I've got Vicky Louise with me, who is a life coach over there. And why I'm so excited about having her on the show is that she is, well, uh, she kicks ass. <laughs> as simple as that. <laughs> she, she doesn't take prisoners in her approach to anxiety. And that's exactly the kind of person I love. Um, so, Vicky. I'm so pleased to have you on. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so pleased to be here. And I also love how it's like morning for me and evening for you. <laughs> well, it is. It is. It's beautiful. And yeah. I think COVID has really showed us the, a, a kind of evolution, a very quick evolution in the way we do business and we do meetings and, uh, and get to know each other. Uh, I certainly, uh, a year ago, Skype was painful. And now with the advent of Zoom and things like that, it's actually, you know, yes, let's have a chat, shall we? And it's great. Love it. Love it. Love it. Right. I'm on the other side of it where I was already using Zoom because my clients are all over the world. And then when everyone started to use Zoom, there were all these errors. Oh, really? <laughs> it was like crashing. And I was like, no. Oh, no. Yeah, but it's fine. It's solved it now. It's all <laughs> well, I'm sure they would have been absolutely hammered. Their server right. requests would have been crazy. Uh, right. I'm, I mean, so far, so good. I've done a good dozen interviews over the last fortnight, and only one or two have crashed. But there was more Wi-Fi on my side or, or the, 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 my guest's side rather than Zoom itself. So, okay. fingers crossed. <laughs> Vicky, when you were a little girl, I'm sure there was one day when you were around six and you went to your mom and said, Mom, I'm going to be a life coach. I'm going to be sorting people out. I'm going to tell them how to get their shit done. Nope. Probably, probably. <laughs> I'm not even lying. I think actually what happened was for so long, my friends said it to me. Like I was that friend that everyone went to um, that just found very easy to speak to and be open with and not judged and things right. like that. And I didn't even know it was a career. So I went and studied economics. I went and worked in finance. I, you know, was doing all of that kind of thing when I first heard about coaching. Uh -huh. Even though at one point I had thought about psychiatry, but it was just the medicine and the medical side of things. Um, and when I first heard of it, I was like, wait, this is a job. This is a job. <laughs> this is what I want to do. <laughs> like, this is something, this is my dream. So, nice. Having yeah, a good natter with a friend or with someone that, might, <laughs> that you might treat like a friend and who hasn't been treated like that for a long time. Uh, that's a beautiful thing to do, isn't it? Bloody yeah, well, I think, Sorry, you first. Yeah, I was going to say, I actually have learned since that being a coach is a different relationship and role to a friend. Um, but I even said to one of my friends a few weeks ago, would you ever think about being a coach? And she said something like, no, you're very good with people. So I think quite often any of us in the world think that the things that we're good at, everyone is good at. 
instead of realizing and really leaning into our strengths, which is something that someone can do actually while working with a coach, which is fun. Very good point. Very good point. When did you make the, the change? When did you become a, a coach? And yes. what did it take to do that? I mean, you had a secure place in finance and suddenly you said, oh, you know what? This kind of um, seven uh, figure income, it's just, it's boring. Yeah. How did that go? Um, <laughs> it's an interesting conversation with my dad for sure. Um, <laughs> it, <laughs> it started around the end of 2015, um, early 2016, where I started to think, okay, I think I'm going to leave this. This is, this is, um, this isn't what I want. And I think I actually know what I want. And handed in my notice and it was from the summer of 2016 actually what I did at first was so I quit my job went all in and found free people to coach and um, through my network and I've relocated a lot so I have quite a large network all over the world um so it was like former secretaries travel like travel buddies or my old roommate in New York sister like it was everyone uh, high school friends people I hadn't spoken to for years really a mix and I just started because I don't think you can really know what it's like until you start. And I wanted to start before I committed to like certifications and investing and all of that, which I then did in 2017. Um, so yeah. And then I just went all in. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. And I guess a coach uh, to actually do that. It is a huge shift, shift in pace, shift in attitude, I guess shift in expectations to your own life. Um, when you were in finance, how many hours would you have worked a day? What was sort of a typical day for you? Well, it depends on the time of year. And also when I was in finance, I was always doing certifications and exams as well. So it wasn't, there was times of the year when I was in the office seven days a week till 10 p.m. at night. And other times when it, it was much quieter and it was like, you know, nine till six. So it really depends. But I think, I think the interesting thing that I realized making the switch is we're never really taught to be an entrepreneur. And this shows up quite a lot. And this shows up in my clients quite a lot in terms of basically when you come to entrepreneurship later in life, you are coming with a mindset of like failing is really bad and we don't want to fail. Now, the opposite is true of entrepreneurship. You're going to fail and you have to fail so you can actually learn because typically you're going to be solving for something and creating your own blueprint versus like, this is the three steps. Yeah. You know. So true. So true. But it is something that you need to learn. And we, uh, depends upon in which kind of, of generation and which kind of time frame you, you grew up. Certainly failing was not an option for me when I was, when it was drilled in me that, that you have to be better than a neighbor, you have to drive a better car, you have to achieve something in your life and, and so on and so on to a man don't, doesn't cry and, and all that kind mm. of stuff. There was this kind of very kind of rigid thinking in the eighties and, and when, when I was sort of younger. So, and I think to a certain degree, Whilst many things have changed, I don't think that there have been huge revolutions in the attitude towards failure. So I think I'm not so certain that, that in the younger generation now that they are taught how to fail. Or do you see, this, do you see that difference? 
Um, I think it's probably different from the 80s, but I agree with you. I think we've got a long way to go. And actually, this ties into anxiety, of course, because our brain thinks failure equals death because throughout most of our evolution, it did. If you failed to find adequate shelter, if you failed to avoid the predators, if you failed to eat, to pick the right berries and you ate the poisonous ones. So really, we're like socialized to avoid failure and then we have our brains our brains our cognitive science and how our brain is is formed and that also wants us to avoid failure and then we nowadays more and more people are stepping off the beaten path and creating their own thing and when we do that well then we're inviting anxiety to come and show up and then we have i mean and we can speak about this more but and then when you um start looking up anxiety or you start going into what is it how can I cope with it and all this stuff everything you're going to read is very disempowering and very like this disorder and you're suffering and very limited um information and our brain always thinks about the worst case scenario so it puts us in the worst case of the scale and it just continues that disempowering spiral which is not going to be helpful for people that are wanting to you know step out of the comfort zone and create something absolutely true Absolutely true. Having said that, I mean, you are, you're referring now to probably 25, uh, well, mid twenties, mid thirties, mid forties, when we sort of think, well, actually let's, let's go out there, let's create. Um, yes, there are some younger people there who, who uh, consider an entrepreneurship of sorts, uh, but I don't think that is so widespread yet. If you look at the figures, if you look at the, the statistics of young people of 16 to 24, what is it nowadays? 20, 25% of anxiety and anxiety disorder, um, especially young, young women. Uh, so that has nothing to do with stepping out to become an entrepreneur. So we have much, much earlier. What is your take? Why do you think that so many young people nowadays are so anxious and so upset and on the edge well i think so i i myself so my story was you know waking up in panic attacks and looking into um what it was online and everything that i read was can i swear on this podcast? of course you can okay, it was <laughs> so just just for all listeners please um caveat here i like vicky use very colorful language and normally I try to refrain myself, but uh, let me give you a statistic. I ran a large pain clinic here in New Zealand at more than 2,000 patients, and I took stock. Out of 2,000 patients, guess how many people did not swear? One. That was a pastor. He decided his deal with God, nah, I will not swear. Everyone else, doesn't matter where they came from, how old, how young, how they dressed, they swore. And some of them, little old ladies, Boy, did they let rip. So, okay, for this session, please, if you're offended by swear words, I think both Vicky and I will from now on just let loose a little bit more. And it's just because that's how we take, that's how we think. So guys, please do not be offended. Do not be upset. Just go with the flow and we'll take it from there. Cool. Yeah. Official warning over. Let's get into it. Love it. Oh, bloody hell, okay. shake. <laughs> Go. Well, I was going to say, I, I think there's a lot of confusing misinformation out there. And quite frankly, it's bullshit. Mm. Um, because 
I mean, everyone has anxiety. Anxiety is normal. If we look at our evolutionary biology, why anxiety exists, we have to remember our brain's one job is to keep us alive, right? Not to be happy all the time. That's not its purpose. It's really like, I think you're going to die. And I'm going to release these hormones like adrenaline and cortisol because in throughout our evolution, this is what allowed us to run faster, longer, feel less pain, be on high alert. And all of those things literally kept our predecessors alive. So the ones that survived had this skill and they passed it down. And the ones that didn't have this skill didn't survive, right? We're speaking about about 40,000 years of our brain in its most modern form programmed this way. It's like a computer that's been programmed, right? And then now we speak about um, anxiety as though there's something wrong, but only because it's used, like having the ability to run longer, having the ability to feel less pain. Those two things are not going to be useful when you're having anxiety about sending an email. Like they're just not useful, but it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with us. And I think a lot of the dialogue around anxiety is very much there's something wrong and this needs to be fixed and it's broken. And if you, and people come to me and tell me this about their kids, but if you as a kid or as a young adult are being told that there's something wrong with you and something needs to be fixed, guess what that's going to trigger? Anxiety. (laughs) So we end up in this loop of like experiencing the anxiety, thinking there's something wrong with us. And when we think there's something wrong with us, our brain creates anxiety. And this is where, a lot of people come to me, I guess, as like a refreshing voice of actually breaking down the science very simply and breaking down simple steps to actually manage it versus there's something wrong with you and we need to fix it, which is not a thought that anyone should carry around with them for years of their lives. It's just, I'm, I'm quite passionate about it, as you can tell, um, because so many people are thinking, well, there's something wrong with me because of this instead of, I mean, I'll tell you the point for me was I read on on um, a US um, health website, like a government website, 20%, one in five American adults will suffer from an anxiety disorder. Now my background in economics and statistics told me that that whole sentence didn't make sense because one in five, so 20% of a sample size of over a hundred million people is not a disorder, it sounds like a trend. And if it's a trend, then there's gotta be reasons for it. And the reasons for it can be explained (laughs) By our evolution. Oh, you're a good girl. Wow. Okay, that's good. I like that a lot. Okay. Okay. That makes a hell of a lot of sense, actually. Um, Mm -hmm. Having said that, there is... Let's let's go a bit more into the biology, because I think that's actually quite cool and quite important. Mm -hmm. There is, from me, from a doctor's point of view, I think I want to say that if people are continuously for years have been on on high alert etc yeah that is that is definitely something where behavior habits and those things can be changed and altered um, i think i want to say a quick warning that if if someone of you is otherwise actually quite normal and has been normal life and suddenly there are constantly new panic attacks, anxiety attacks, etc. I think it might not be such a stupid idea to go to your GP, go to your family physician, maybe if you're in the States. Uh, sometimes simple things like, like your thyroid gland might be out of kilter and suddenly you feel all hyped up. So there might be, there might be good reasons why, why actually your body has changed, which is now causing the anxiety. So if that is something new out of the blue, maybe have a word with your GP. So having said that, 
what Vicky, what you're talking about is not the, the everything is fine and suddenly without any reasons, suddenly you get, get panic attacks. That's not what we are here for. Well, actually, uh, that's what happened to me. Out of the blue? Yeah, like I never had anxiety before. In fact, I was already a coach. Uh -huh. What I will say, though, I think you're right. I think there's a difference between functioning and non-functioning. Yeah. So anyone listening that can't get out of bed, can't hold down a job, can't go to the supermarket, not because it's COVID, but because, you know, just yeah. can't function in society, for yeah. sure, medical is the way to go. And even some people come to me and they're already on medication as well. I don't, I think... The difference is empowering people to know that they can make the decisions that are right for their health versus like there's only one solution and there's something wrong with you and mm. you know that's it yeah. um i can't remember where i was going with the first point now <laughs> um, how my anxiety story yeah, yeah. yeah um a few years ago i just started waking up every morning with and I didn't even know it was a panic attack, right? Because <laughs> everything that I'd known about anxiety before then was this like super serious negative thing. And people had come to me as a life coach and asked for help with anxiety. And I'd said, no, I said, you need to go see a doctor. Like, I'm not touching that. That's scary. And I was waking up every morning um, into a shortness of breath, into a very active mind, into sweat um, and some dizziness. And it happened. And then like, as the day went on, it would go away. And my partner, who's now my husband, was the one that said to me, I don't think it's normal. Because <laughs> I was just like, okay, this is it. This is just how I'm going to be from now. And he said, I don't think it's <laughs> Scary. And, well, I was just like, okay. Like, it, like I said, the panic attack came and then it went. So it wasn't like all day panic, like what you were saying. Um, and then he said, I don't think... <laughs> you know, I, I don't think it's normal. And I spoke to a friend actually who was from America and I feel like she knew much more about anxiety than I did. And she said, it sounds like a panic attack. And that's when I started going to Google and looking at all this stuff and reading all the, all these things that were like, there's something wrong with me and I needed to go to a doctor and all of this stuff. And I was like, well, actually it's not lasting all day. And actually like, I wonder why it's happening. And I started applying life coaching tools to it. I started looking into our biology. I started understanding why it's there instead of arguing with it or judging myself for it or hating it. And it transformed my whole experience. And now the last time I had a panic attack was June last year. I remember because I was living in Austin at the time and it was a completely different experience where I still felt in control, even though the panic still came on. And obviously that's a long time for me to go from every day to a year, basically. Yeah, a year nice. since my last panic attack. Nice, nice. That's intriguing. How old were you when that, when you sort of did the sweating started and, and these kind of things started? Like 29. 29, interesting, okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you were already a coach. You had insight, and and you 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 loved your mind and explored your own mind and that of others. So it's intriguing that you that you actually couldn't recognize it for what it was, and that's so yeah. typical, isn't it, for all of us? Uh, we are when you try to to hold a mirror in front of your face, you can't see it. You can't and see I the depression. Anxiety was. I thought anxiety was like this very extreme, almost suicidal. Right. You know, I really was misinformed about it, which is why I'm so, which is why I launched my podcast, right? Just an easy way for people to get general information about anxiety so that they can stop judging themselves and really understand what's happening. Because for me at that time, there wasn't anything out there. Interesting. Interesting. Oh, brilliant. I'm so pleased that we're talking. Um, okay. So 
if someone comes to you, what is your approach? How, how, what, what sort of, what kind of framework do you use for yourself to assess that patient or that person? So, with a, yeah, with a coach, it's, it's different to therapy in that it's not like diagnostic and it's not a patient relationship. It's really like two equals, mm. um, which is why, you know, someone that wants a coach versus a therapy, it's going to be a very specific person that wants um, different things. So for example, I will never, my role as their coach is not to go into their past and find out about what happened when they were six years old. We very much focus on what's happening in their present and the future that they want to build. Um, so I do say to people, if you've never, if you've come to me with trauma and you've never spoken to a therapist, that's, that's probably a good place to start. Um, but typically people that come to a coach are people that want to focus on where they are now and where they want to go. So, um, I mean, there's lots of different tools that I use, of course. I'll share with you one or maybe two. Um, but exactly as I said, another thing about anxiety is if you look up the definition, it says anxiety is a feeling of worry, unease, and overwhelm, which is telling me, fuck all. It's saying anxiety is a feeling of feelings. How do I know when it's worry? How do I know when it's anxiety? How do I know when it's overwhelm, right? It's overwhelming just thinking about which one it is. And there's no, there's no like tests out there for it. So one of the things that I really do with my clients is we define specifically what anxiety feels like physically to them so that they know exactly what's happening because part of anxiety thrives on this vagueness of maybe you start to feel sick or nauseous or dizzy or whatever it might be and then you're like I don't know what's going to happen and then that triggers more anxiety so instead we really go through a process of defining their anxiety for them so obviously for me it was um heart pounding very very hot um very shortness of breath for some of my clients it's like tingles up and down their arm a dizziness in their head whatever it might be so initially when you feel the panic or the anxiety instead of thinking oh no I don't know what's going to happen you know, you're like oh I know exactly what's going to happen maybe I need to make sure I'm sat down with a window open with my head between my legs and just make sure that I'm breathing out it's a whole different experience of a panic attack than this shouldn't be happening why is this happening I wish this wasn't happening which as I'm sure you can imagine is going to create more panic so oh. that's like one of the things um that i do with people but also a lot of what i do is typically i work with people that are um, ambitious in some way and, and want to achieve something and that stepping out of the comfort zone is what's creating more anxiety and more discomfort so it's also a matter of how we can build structure and safety around what they are doing so that they can show up in the world consistently because again at school we're taught to follow someone else's timetable or do homework based on someone else's assignment. And later in life as an adult, we, we, we have to start showing up for ourselves and making decisions for ourselves based on what we want. And often people will come to me saying, I know what I want. I'm just not doing it. Like, why am I doing these? And, and, and you know, your story with being, with being sober, it's like, why am I doing these self-sabotaging behaviors or why am I not doing the things that I want to do when I say I do them? And it's like, guys, it's not you, it's your brain. Our brains are just wired to be lazy. They're wired to keep doing what we've always done. They're wired to seek pleasure. They're wired to avoid pain. Like once we know that, we can approach it and solve it scientifically and logically versus judging ourselves and spinning out in more negativity, which is going to lead to more probably negative behaviors. So true, so true. Um, and it would be interesting to really, truly ask 
anyone out there if they have not feel, felt anxious in the last week. And hand on heart, every single person would have had one episode where they really felt, oh my God, uh, probably hyperventilating, breathing too fast, probably completely overwhelmed, uh, heart is pounding. Uh, we just don't label it like that. And, and I like the way you distinguish that. And I like the way that you, that you are so passionate about the disorder, anxiety disorder and things like that. So, um, and again, there is a spectrum, no doubt about it. And the, the severe spectrum, that's most definitely an anxiety disorder. And that's, that's then where really drugs can very much be life-saving uh, but there is all that gray zone and they're very mild cases and if you just want to dish out paroxetine to everyone i don't think that is the right way to go so i like the way that you take your neurobiology and and the the way that we have evolved over the last 40 50,000 years and actually use that to nowadays uh make changes into habits for us alcoholics, we are as as guilty <laughs> as you quite rightly described. And for us, for me uh, specifically, it's HALT, um, H-A-L-T. And it's hungry, angry, lonely, tired. These are the typical kind of triggers for a relapse or a trigger for, for you not feeling right. Uh, well, let's figure it out. Let's actually look at hunger what happens when when you're hungry and you're hungry well your blood sugar goes down and well at least in some people um, so if your blood sugar is down you feel a bit dizzy you might breathe a bit faster your heart might beat a bit faster and then you think oh my god what's going on what's going on bingo and you're in the race you're going up in the spiral so it can be as simple as a trigger like that a low blood sugar uh, or the other way around, you're eating your beautiful muffin and you love it and you've got that spike of sugar. Well, guess what happens in half an hour? <laughs> so it's, again, simple things like the nutrition. So, you know, that might be <laughs> quite a good thing. And I have no doubt, you know, these, these are things that you will address. What is your, what is your take on nutrition? So where, how do you, what, is your, what are your recommendations? Are you going shopping with your, with your, with your, uh, well, they're not patients. How do you call them? Clients? Clients. Yeah. yeah. Clients. Coaches. Are you going shopping with your clients? I don't do any nutrition stuff, but I would love to, but I do know a few people that are experts in that field really to the point of, um, knowing, you know, what should and shouldn't be eaten. And I think that what we eat is super important because I agree with you. I think food is medicine and, um, we forget that what we consume literally has a physical reaction in our body and puts our body to work. So I think it's really important, but typically I don't deal with that. I can't pretend to be an expert in that. Um, I can tell you in my own life, you know, I've stopped smoking. I stopped drinking coffee. I stopped drinking alcohol so much. Like I will drink it if I want to maybe once a week, but there was probably a time when I was drinking it every day <laughs> in my early twenties. Um, and a bit beyond. <laughs> and, um, what else i i'm mainly like a vegetarian um you know that's been a, re a shift as well but really i would say i'm not the expert to ask there do i think it can help absolutely um 
indeed. But I would and, I would definitely speak to a nutritionist or something. Oh, that. and that's that's a really really good advice, isn't it, Vicky? There is. Um, I work here with a, a fantastic man called Ben Warren in New Zealand. He is uh, B Pure is his trademark, and he is at the moment doing a study where he's taking on people with anxiety disorder and suffer from from quite strong anxiety uh, and is helping them with nutrition and a nutrition approach to see where that goes and it is it is the gut is probably another part of our brain and it's probably another part of of where quite important neurotransmitters so that the little chemicals that make you either feel good or not so good where they come from and if we mess around with our gut and that is what we do in our modern diet then that is probably hugely contributing to our feelings, yet we know so little about it. And it's only now in the last 10, 20 years that, that voices has, have come out of the, the labeled alternative, oh, we don't believe that kind of stuff into more mainstream and get accepted. So the nutritionists nowadays have got a huge role to play. And, but it is, it is someone like you who is the conductor, who is the, the kind of the, the person in front of the orchestra to actually say, well, let's have a look at your life here. And uh, what are your habits now? And then very quickly, you probably figure out, hang on, yeah, you're anxious and you're having how much coffee? And how much water? No, no water, but uh, lots of coffee. And that's right, and two bottles of wine. <laughs> like everyone is I mean I was that person and all of my friends like yeah we struggle so hard to drink water I mean you've seen me like I have it right in front of me all the time I'm like okay it's there let's make it so easy because it's such a common thing that we do when I was working in corporate in an office like why would I drink water when I can drink coffee And in, I, I like the coffee, please. I'm the I'm a I'm as guilty as charged because I drink huge amounts, but I also drink huge amounts of water, and that's a problem because then you run to the toilet continuously. But it is what it is. I rather have it that way. I like the the volume. <laughs> that's for sure. This is such a good example because of like self care because mm, yeah like the, the amount of people that I've spoken to that are like, I would drink more water, but then I'm going to need to go to the bathroom and get up from my desk from work when I've got work to do. So it's like, okay, so what we're saying is our health is not as important as our work. We can't like, God forbid we get up from the desk once an hour to go to the toilet for five minutes, even though that's probably going to be a good additional benefit to everything. But really, it's so common that I see this. Really, it's like, well, it I, you know, I can't drink yeah. water. Is it not? See, and that is that is go twenty years back. Everyone would have said, "You want water?" And then you say, "I go for a smoke." Oh, oh I, I come, I come. Yeah. So it was absolutely acceptable that you have a cigarette, but it's not acceptable that you drink a glass of water. You're kidding me. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. I didn't even think about that, but absolutely, definitely. <laughs> so there we are. So that the hunger we've touched, uh, the the first most definitely that is a nice trigger for for some anxiety. Um, mm. But then, of course, there are there are some real, not so nice things around us: COVID, um, gang warfare. I don't know. Um, 
we certainly in our area here we have got a lot of gangs and more recently an influx from australian gang members that have been booted out from over there so there is there's the odd fracas going on and yeah it makes you a bit bit anxious to actually be out there in certain areas of of my town uh, after after darkness um not pretty so how do you deal with that so there is a certain there's a certain certain time when anxiety is life-saving so how do you teach your your clients the difference between healthy situational awareness and oh my god the world ends how do you draw that line it's such a good point because I think people give anxiety such a bad rep, but I was saying to people like your anxiety and your fear is the reason you're not walking around hugging people while COVID's going yeah. on. Um, I mean, this is where I really like step into my zone of genius and the work that I do with people because I do causal coaching. So it's really less, way less focused on food and nutrition and, and water. And it's really focused on this type of anxiety and a lot of people, and I did a lot of work around COVID a lot of people saying like coronavirus is giving me anxiety and really it's like there's coronavirus and then there's anxiety and this isn't creating this and i can tell you why because people will have i, I spoke to 20 people a week easily you know when it was first happening and someone would come to me with anxiety about money someone would come to me with anxiety around health someone around anxiety about seeing their faraway family someone with anxiety around someone they love getting sick someone with anxiety around um, their career, someone with anxiety of their business and managing a team, someone, like literally. So it's actually not the coronavirus creating the anxiety. It's all of our thoughts about it. It's all the implications that our brain gets because we have our conscious thoughts that we choose to think. And then we have this subconscious part of our brain, which is kind of like the pre-programmed computer, right? And it's like got all these thoughts about um, you know, as soon as it happens, I'm going to lose my job. I'm not going to be able to pay my rent. I'm going to end up on the streets. I'm, like all of this stuff, which is all story. We walk around. I think women have around 60,000 thoughts a day and men have around up to 90. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so anyone that tells me they're overthinking, I'm like, you're probably not. You're probably just on, ta on track. <laughs> <laughs> okay. A bit of gender bashing here. I like it. That's right. I mean, I was waiting for when... No, it's it's, it's definitely not gender bashing. It's just science, really. Um, <laughs> 90 points. Come on. From now on, then I'm even hungry. That must count as something. Come on. 90,000. 90, 90, oh, I see. Yeah, I thought 90. 90. <laughs> no, that would be... That's what I thought. <laughs> no. Good job we clarified for the listeners. <laughs> okay, fair yeah. enough. Thank you. Yeah, then men, then have I feel more. A bit... <laughs> men have more thoughts, right? I didn't realize that. Yeah. Ah. Um, and we walk around believing everything that our brain tells us. And I refer to this as our brain's bullshit quite often. Uh -huh. um, because we walk around believing things like, well, I can't ask for this promotion and I can't, I'll never find love and I'll never lose weight. And there's no point trying to quit smoking. I can't quit smoking and mm. I'm a failure. And we walk around believing all of these sentences in our brain. And yes. so often these are what are creating not just our anxiety, but also all of our other emotions. You spoke about anger earlier. That doesn't come from, someone yelling at you it comes from your brain's reaction to it and we know this because say there's someone that you really admire that got mad at you about something you may be more likely to feel shame than anger mm. right because your thought is going to be they're right i'm wrong whereas if someone you don't like already is getting angry at, is is yelling at you you're more likely to get to think they're wrong i'm right and get angry back 
So a lot of the work I do with people is unlearning our existing thinking habits and thought patterns so that we can choose them on purpose where to focus our brain and stop believing all the noise that's creating a lot of the anxiety, a lot of the procrastination, a lot of the people pleasing and perfectionism and fear of failure and really like on purpose by design, think what we want to think, but we'll not think what we want to think, but really believe what, because we have so many thoughts every day we can't control all of them but we can believe and give our space and our energy to ones that we really want to believe that are really going to serve us in how we want to show up in the world and how we want to show up in our relationships and how we want to show up for ourselves beautiful beautiful that's a really nice way of putting it goodness maybe i need to do a course with you um, so <laughs> I think everyone right. should do coaching. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you're right. Please, no, you're right. You're right. Uh, I've got the, the, the honor and, and the pleasure of working with a life coach here myself. Mm-hmm. And she has certainly rearranged my head a few times. And that is uh, a very good thing. And for those of you out there who are listening here and thinking, oh, coach that is only for for if something is wrong with you or etc that's actually not a true so you are you are really struggling to find any ceo of a fortune 500 company who hasn't got a life coach uh any major uh sports player they will all have their psychologists their life coaches etc because they all know they can be better and we've got the supercomputer up there and no one has ever given us the manual. So here we are sort of pressing the button and see what works. And often enough, we found something that we think works and oh, no, it doesn't. So um, that's where a life coach comes in. And that's where, where uh, you, Vicky, uh, are playing such a, you can play such a huge role if someone actually listens. And someone actually works with you and takes, takes on. <laughs> it's right. And I think part of it, part of the thing that stops people sometimes is they're like, oh, there's nothing, you know, overly wrong with me. So I, so I won't do anything because we're not taught to invest in ourselves to better our lives. Because when we're feeling terrible, we're more likely to spend money on things, you know, short term things like overspending, like, you know, over drinking, overeating, all of these things that like feed the economy. <laughs> um, and secondly, um, it's, it's um what was I gonna say oh a lot of people will say yeah but I'm the exception like this isn't gonna work for me this sounds I mean I was that person I'm not gonna lie I was like this sounds like woo woo I am very like a logical economist scientific person and really only once I started to get into the science of it could I be like oh like this is scientific this makes sense um so for anyone that's listening that's thinking oh like this is too woo woo or um I would be the exception then I recommend trying like there's no harm in trying most coaches in the world how they operate is you'll have like an initial consult call with them and I think it's like it's just that thing of what have you got to lose like if this could literally help you step out and and create the life you want we own for what I know we only get one life and part of what motivates me is you know when I was younger I was obsessed with reading about what people said on their deathbed (laughs) but you know the the regrets of listening to my fear and playing small and all of that really got into my brain (laughs) and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing now and I think we we are programmed to listen to the fear that's how we're programmed by design to keep us alive Mm -hmm. but that fear doesn't create 
the goals and doesn't shift the world and doesn't allow you if you're someone that wants to have impact on the world Mm -hmm. listening to the fear isn't going to allow you to do that so that's where the dissonance comes up and that's where coaching can help and i think it's interesting because you use the word fear now compared with anxiety i think fear is a very healthy thing it is something that i cherish uh, as an anesthetist i am called to very very dangerous and and life and death situations and it is a very healthy thing to have fear and i i i allow myself five seconds of experiencing that fear so to taste it to to feel the heart pounding to get my to get the blood vessels shrinking to a degree that that my hands tingle and that is all that is fine okay thank you very much now i know what fear is now fuck off to the side and now let's focus on what needs to be done so and every soldier especially more trained soldiers uh, special forces soldiers will have a very similar attitude they embrace the fear because it can sharpen your senses it can actually guide you help you put you to the peak of where you want to be but then don't let it run your life use it as a driving force so if you have got this fear and this anxiety about about having no money let's use that as an example especially now with people losing their 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 incomes well that is actually quite a healthy thing yes please uh, you should be afraid because if no money comes in then well where do you live and and those kind of things so use that fear but don't be terrorized by it but actually say thank you very much you actually remind me okay what can i sell what can i which kind of other income can i have let's go productively about it because there, there, are, there are outcomes there that you can achieve that you didn't even think about. And again, that's where someone like you comes in. Um, because you need to talk to someone who actually has got his head screwed more or less right and that, that who can guide you and help you along these lines. Is that something that you would agree or, is that, or am I, am I off, off, <laughs> off the, the path there? No, well, what I love about what you said is you said fear is something to be experienced. So what you're doing in that environment is the same thing that people can do with anxiety, which is not fight it, but just allow, just notice it and check in with what's happening. Thank it for being there and then get back to what you are doing. Whereas typically what delays people so much is fighting with fears or fighting with anxieties or fighting with our basic human instincts are there to protect us maybe just sometimes for a different time maybe very appropriately because we are in a threatening situation right there and then and so i love what you said about having that time to just like allow it and process it and not judge it and not fight with it because that's what most people are doing right we're like fighting or avoiding um the fears and the anxieties so completely yeah allow it to be there and then you and then you remain the authority instead of feeling like a victim to your own brain or a victim to your own anxiety or a victim to your own fear so i love it well i wrote the book my steps to sobriety and in there i talk about anxiety and and about uh urges and cravings and things like that because they're all actually pretty similar and i use the example of you being in uh the ocean and you're surfing or you're just swimming there and there's suddenly this big wave coming 
you may like the wave or you may not like the wave one way or the other, this wave is coming. And there's nothing you can do about it. The only thing you can do is really surf the wave. You know it is coming. It will be there for a short while and then it's gone. That is exactly what will happen with uh, cravings, with anxiety attacks, with all these kind of, of short-lived things. Just accept them for what they are. There's not necessarily right. so much wrong with it. This is just your brain having a brain fart, for lack of a better word, and, and you, you just let it be. Yeah. I think if, I, if I'm honest with myself, I probably have that once once uh, a day that I feel like that. So it's uh, not something I'm, I'm happy about, I'm proud about, but it is there. And right. it's one of your 90,000 thoughts. Of course, it's going to be there, right? It's exactly. like, oh, right. Yeah, <laughs> of course. And I'll give you a better word for the, for the brain fart. You can call it a thought error, right? As though it was like a, a computer programming. So it's just a thought <laughs> error, just like a mistake. It's okay, that, that sounds better. <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> take that. No, that's definitely right. So, oh, beautiful. So we've touched about so many things, but I, I love it that we make it more natural uh, that you have such feelings and that you feel at times overwhelmed and etc. You don't need to put a disease or a sickness label onto that, uh, but you need to learn what to do with it. It's, it's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay to just sit there and suffer and make others suffer uh, because there's always one significant other who has to suffer uh, from the consequences of your frustration, anger, uh, all the kind of, of flow-on effects. Um, it is important that you realize what is happening and that you learn paths and tricks and techniques to help you move on so so far we have we've talked a bit about biology we have talked about prevention i guess because if you if you keep hydrated if you keep your blood sugar stable if you don't hammer yourself with alcohol and and, and things then uh that's a pretty good way to go um is uh, how do you feel about breathing exercises? How do you feel about uh, things like that in when when something hits you, when you are in that mm -hmm. in that terror, in that anxiety? Mm. Yeah, firstly, I want to say about prevention, we're never going to prevent it 100%. This is one of the reasons why I'm so against that dialogue because we put all of our energy into preventing this natural thing and then we're exhausted and we feel like a failure and there's something more wrong with us because we can't get rid of anxiety and we should be able to get rid of this totally normal natural thing. So I think it's like great and it can like maybe simmer it down less and all of this stuff, but anxiety will might, might and probably will be always part of your life just like in, like you said about the spectrum, maybe in the lower end of the spectrum, maybe in shorter bursts, however it is. And I think that there are things that you can do to um, lessen it. And I think diet actually that you touched on is, is a big part of it that I know nothing about, but um, I think it is, it is a big part of it, um, as well as obviously the mindset work that I do and multiple things I've spoken about today. But ultimately, we have to be very sneaky here 
we have to be very careful. Sorry, I should say. Oh, and yoga and meditation, everything, all this thing is wonderful for us for this as well as countless other reasons. But often clients when they're first starting working with me will say well I stopped everything that I was doing and I meditated for two hours to get rid of my anxiety and what I tell them is that's that's feeding the belief that there's something wrong with you right if we have to stop everything and do it we're doing it to change something that's very natural we're then not you know and and suddenly one client told me why she swept the floors for like three hours that was all she could do in in an attempt to to lessen it but really what happened was it came on and she was like i can't do anything i have to do this thing to get rid of it and really believing that she had to get rid of this thing versus like you said ride the wave I really think that's a really relevant example here too of like allowing it to be here, staying in that position of power of like, okay, I know exactly what's going to happen. I know exactly why it's happening, which is something that I teach my clients as well to uncover why. And, and that's a completely different experience versus this shouldn't be happening. I have to stop what I'm doing and do other things to get rid of it. So true. So true. So true. Um, with, when you said prevention, what automatically comes to my mind is the anxiety the hangover uh, in a, oh, yeah. a intrinsically shy person who the evening before takes the Dutch courage and then is the soul of the party. And the next day you have got the hangover and the anxiety multiplies. Um, so therefore that's why I'm sort of thinking with prevention, there's certain things don't get sloshed every night. That might be a good start to not have the anxiety attack uh, the, 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 the next morning or the next afternoon whenever it hits you then. So that was the, the, the prevention that came to my mind there. Yeah. And also, like I said, I drink less coffee and I do drink less alcohol. And I think, you know, it, know that you're empowered to make that choice, right? I think that we know that alcohol has that effect we know that coffee can have that effect so if if it's happening the same tools you know to manage it and to sit with it and to be there and to stay in authority over it or all apply but it's just it can be brought on like you said even by like hunger and all of these things so being aware of what makes it easier to come on is super important yeah oh that's cool how long do you work with patients? I say patients. I do apologize. I'm a bloody doctor. Of course, I say patients. So sorry. Um, with your clients, what are sort of the typical timeframes that you work with them? Yeah, right now I work with people one-on-one for six months. Wow, cool. In yeah. which time cycles, in which, which kind of uh, frequencies? We speak together once a week. Mm-hmm. And every week we're like moving the needle forward so that by the end, the growth is just really exponential. So it's, it's quite amazing to see. Yeah. It's beautiful because obviously you hold them accountable for their actions. You are their, their coach, their guide. And that is a very, very powerful uh, thing to have. So Mm. I can see how valuable uh, you can be for many people out there. That's just fantastic. Yeah, um, it's also, I was going to say, um, it's also an amazing thing, not just to, like, as an accountability buddy, but also I'm really there with the tools to understand why they're not doing what they say they're going to do or why the same problems are resurfacing, why it's happening. So it's like, um, it's like the difference between putting on a Band-Aid or like solving the broken arm, right? It's like we can put on, yeah, you're a doctor. You've probably got better examples than me. <laughs> but, no, it's pretty good. You know, it's like, okay. <laughs> so it's 
it's like we can keep um, solving the symptoms or we can go in and uncover the cause. And that's really what, what my style of coaching is. Brilliant. Oh, brilliant, Vicky. Thank you so much. So, I mean, bottom line is uh, we are going to put all the links to your to your practice and to your style uh, into the description below, guys. So uh, in the podcast and in the YouTube channel, we'll find uh, easy access uh, to Vicky. Um, you have, uh, however, an interesting journey ahead of you. Um, so she gave me a sneak preview earlier on. So at the moment, you're based in the UK, but... Ah, you're you're a girl of the world, it would appear. Where is the next step for you? Next step is south of France. It's beautiful. Montpellier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was already saying earlier on I'm jealous here, I'm envious. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're gonna be but then that's a lovely but you you said yourself that you as a coach you have got clients really from all over the world uh who uh, appreciate your guidance and mm -hmm. so and do you at the moment have capacity so if people wanted to get touch with, in touch with you and, and work with you yep I'm always open even if there ends up being like a wait list or whatever it is like I'm always open so I always like every week I have a dedicated time when new people can come and schedule a call with me to again like I said get to know about coaching mm -hmm. let me spend some time in your brain and typically what I'll do in that call is I'll give people like the prescription, I guess, to like to, to the solution for what, what the changes they're looking for. Um, so it's a really valuable call. Cool. And you have got a podcast, haven't you? And I've got a podcast, which is all about short, impactful, actionable steps that we can take each week to move the needle forward and to manage all of the things behind the anxiety, like the people pleasing and the fear of judgment and the perfectionism and the worry and all of that good stuff. And it's called fuck anxiety and get shit done but it's spelled the polite way where it's like f asterisk ck it is i think the the sentiment is the most important bit uh however you dress it up in whichever language polite or not so polite doesn't matter because ultimately you need to deal with the problem and get back into the driver's seat this is your life don't let the anxiety run it for you. You need to be in control. And it might not be 100% and not every second, okay? It is such as life. But come on, you know, it is it's your life. It's, it's, you can either let it just go and see where it takes you. Or you can say, well, actually, I would like to be that person. I would like to be a wonderful person who is actually proud to look in the mirror who is is looking forward to coming home to a functioning relationship with family with wife husband partner dog whoever you know there is there are roles that you want to play and that you want to be happy in and i don't think that the anxiety helps you so much there so therefore it's so important yeah <sighs> fuck anxiety and get shit done I could not agree more, honestly. <laughs> Vicky, I'm so, so grateful that you were on my show today. You gave me a damn good insight and I, I loved many, many things that you mentioned and I like it that you demedicalized it and that you took it uh, down to a level of, yeah, 
it's okay. That's normal. That happens with you. And now let's get on with life because I, I strongly believe that this is the right way to go. Absolutely. Oh, Vicky. So good luck over there in the UK. Good luck with your move. And Thanks. I hope I will hear many more of your podcasts and see where this whole thing takes you. And I uh, wish you many, many referrals that from, from the people here that are listening to that, because there are so many people out there who can, could do with a life coach. And guys, if you think about it, if you have got a thought, well, should I do it? Pick up the bloody phone, okay? Or <laughs> go on to the email, etc. It is well worth that. Mm, amazing thank you so much for having me it's been a really fun conversation i think lots of interesting things for listeners to take away thank you for sharing some things with me as well <laughs> vicky wish you all the best and you guys all look after yourself out there stay sober stay healthy and build that life that you bloody well deserve bye